You're listening to the D&B Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, today we are talking all about a very annoying, buzzing insect that leaves you with these uh, itchy bites. We're talking about mosquitoes, and we devoted a whole episode to this, and we just thought it was very important. You know, it's important in a number of ways, especially for those of us that own horses because of West Nile virus, but then, of course, West Nile virus can get all of us sick as well, and in some cases is even fatal. So I thought it would be good to take a whole episode and discuss this with a few experts and with what's going on all over our region this year after this winter we've had. So in eastern Oregon, here in Idaho, with all of the flooding that we're having, with all of the snowpack we still have yet to come down, and the excess water that has to go somewhere, the chances for mosquitoes breeding and being at record numbers in our regions this summer are probably as high as they've ever been. And so I thought, well, let's talk to some people about mosquitoes. So we've got two experts on the show today. We're going to be speaking with uh, a local official from the Canyon County over in Caldwell, Idaho, uh, their mosquito abatement district, about how they control mosquitoes and things to look out for. To give you an idea of what the mosquito abatement districts in your region are probably doing as well. And then after that, we have a researcher on from the USDA who's going to be talking all about different biological controls and some of the biology of mosquitoes and how it all works and really how they suppress disease that can be carried by this little insect. So I hope you enjoy the interviews. I hope you enjoy the episode and I hope it's really informative and helps you out and I hope this prediction of record mosquito numbers for this year is absolutely wrong. Joining me today is Ed Burnett the director of the Canyon County Mosquito Abatement District. Ed, welcome to the show, and thank you for coming on. Oh, good morning. How are you? <laughs> Very good, and happy to have you here. And oh, thank and, you. Yeah, and talk about uh, something that uh, I don't know if anybody likes. I'm sure there's a scientist out there, somebody that likes mosquitoes, but uh, for the rest of us, I think they're pretty much an annoyance. Well, you know, there's a lot of scientists who really like mosquitoes <laughs> because uh, for a lot of different reasons, so it helps, it helps pay my mortgage for one thing. So, <laughs> Well, then you like them for that respect. I never, you know, I, I never thought of it that way, but absolutely, you got to like them for that reason. Well, I wanted to start off by just getting to know you a little bit. I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about you personally. Uh, my wife and I, we moved to Idaho back in 1978 when I graduate, graduated from college. Then I uh, eventually ended up uh buying into a pest control company out of out of Boise mm-hmm. and we ran that for about 11 years in 2005 I was appointed district director of the Canyon County Mosquito Abatement District. Oh okay. Well now how did that come about? So in 2005 how did you get appointed to that position? Well there was a va- there was a vacancy that came up from the, their their original director had moved on to another position just through word of mouth and there was uh, members that were on that board that uh, that I knew and uh, they asked me to apply and I did and uh, I got the position. I enjoy vector control and I enjoy the the people who are involved in that. It's a you know they're they're dedicated dedicated individuals. We have a lot of dedicated districts here in this area and they're all real fine uh, individuals and uh, they they're uh, professional. And okay. I really wanted to be part of that team, and I'm proud. I'm proud to be in this in, this industry. All right. Well, now your previous experience in owning the pest control company and your agricultural background did that kind of factor into that? 
Yeah, it, it, it does. Um, uh, my uh, background in education is in uh, agriculture entomology, mm-hmm. and then uh, it kind of morphed into vector control, and that's when I found out that, uh, you know, in vector control, especially mosquitoes, agriculture entomology, the, uh, the, the mites and legus, and legus bugs, they don't fight back, but mosquitoes do. So sure. it, it, be, it proved to be a real challenge. When I first took that job with the Mosquito District, I knew absolutely nothing about mosquitoes back in 2005. I learned very quickly under fire because in 2006 is when uh, uh, Idaho uh, went into a... We went to an epidemic situation with West Nile virus, uh-huh. and there were uh, uh, over a thousand people who became sick statewide. We had 21 deaths, and or many of those uh, sicknesses were in Canyon County back in 2005. And mm-hmm. that's what kind of that's what kind of launched the mosquito programs statewide, or, or most of the districts statewide, which are 17, I believe, 17 to 18 districts, and and most of them were formed back in 2005. Uh, Canyon County was originally formed in 19, 1997. We're 20 years old this year, by the way. All right. Um, when a, when a, uh, a number of homeowners and farmers that live around Lake Lowe, it was originally called the Lake Lowe Mosquito Abatement District, mm-hmm. decided they needed to do something about the tremendous mosquito problem around Lake Lowe and Deer Flat National Wildlife Refuge. They formed a, dis- they formed a district under the Mosquito Abatement District Law. Uh, they operated two years pretty much volunteers and uh, donations until they uh, started receiving tax dollars. Mosquito abatement districts, most of them are a uh, special taxing district. Some are associated with county government. Others are uh, special taxing districts, which we happen to be. We are are a special taxing district, and I said it was formed in 1997. And then I became I became the director in 2005. Well, you know what's prompting this, and we need to talk about, especially with our, our listening audience, we need to address mosquitoes every year because not only are they a pest to us, but so many of our audience live in rural areas. They flood irrigate. They've got standing water or more moisture-prone areas or near canals. But then so many, of, so many people in our audience own horses and West Nile virus can impact not just people but horses as well. Oh, oh you're you're definitely right. In fact, uh, horses are very very susceptible to West Nile virus. The West Nile virus mosquito and that whole cycle usually cycles between birds and mosquitoes. A, a mosquito will bite an infected bird, which is kind of a reservoir host. Mm-hmm. It picks up that vi- picks up that virus and bites either another bird and it, it kind of circles in the birds. But when those migratory birds start moving out and you have a high population of that species, or not every mosquito will carry West Nile. There's mm-hmm. certain species that do. Usually when the temperatures start getting in the high 80s and 90s and up to 100 degrees, that population of mosquito will, will explode. And then they start feeding on uh, other mammals, mm-hmm. horses, uh, cattle, dogs, but usually, and people, but usually it's horses are, are very, very susceptible to West Nile virus. Luckily, there's vaccination for horses. <laughs> right. And that should be happening. If you haven't done it yet, you should be doing it now, yeah, preferably earlier in the spring, but it needs to be done done now. Usually a, a vaccine plus the booster. And it's very, very important your horses be vaccinated for West Nile virus, especially if you live in an area that's West Nile prone, which Cannon County is, by the way. Okay. Well, on that happy note, let's take our first break. And then uh, when we come back, we'll jump into talking a a little bit more about what's going on this year. Very good. 
You already know that Honda makes some of the most reliable, fuel-efficient cars on the planet, but that's just as true for Honda lawnmowers. The best thing about a Honda mower is it's a Honda, which means exclusive features like the 4-in-1 twin-blade cutting system that results in finer clippings for either bagging or when mulching, actually feeding your lawn with important nutrients. And it also means a highly fuel-efficient engine that's easier on the environment while you're sprucing up your environment. Plus, depending on the model, Honda residential mowers come with either a 3- or 5-year limited warranty. Shop Honda at select D&B supply stores in Eastern Oregon in southern Idaho. Nowhere to go for good-looking boots that won't break the bank? For that authentic western look on a budget, D&B knows that you can turn to Laredo Boots. Laredo Boots have a loyal following for dealing out that real western look and feel with detailed stitching and traditional designs from the best of the Old West. They're also known to be tender on the feet while saving your hard-earned legal tender. Stick out around town without the sticker shock with Laredo Boots. Available at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Ed, well, now that we're back, I wanted to ask you. So, you know, like I said, it's important to talk about this every year and remind people, especially for the horse's sake, especially considering what you were just describing. But uh, this year, with all of the water we have, with all the potential flooding and the flooding we're already seeing, is is the population of mosquitoes in our region, is it going to be higher than normal this year? You know, that's a good question. Uh, at this point... I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say yes because okay. I mean that's not a very big limb either because I uh, I've I've been touring some of those areas especially in the west end of our county mm-hmm. where the Boise River kind of flattens out just before you before it dumps into the the Snake uh, River over by Parma and those those areas there's a lot of water over there that that uh, normally is not it's, it's usually pasture land or some farmland. Now, how does an abatement district like your own or others around the state, how do they go about measuring the populations of mosquitoes? Yeah, monitoring is very important. Right now, we're at the monitoring of the larva stages of mosquitoes. We're, we're, I have teams out uh, that are searching for larva numbers in different areas and what those counts are. And we're find, believe it or not, we're, we're finding some very, very significant larva counts right now that we're actually starting to do some treatments on. Uh, the our other uh, monitoring is monitoring those adult mosquitoes. And there's, uh, there's uh, specific traps that we deploy Canyon uh, countywide, starting when the nighttime temperatures start getting a little warmer. Probably this year, I'm guessing, usually around mid-May, about two weeks before Memorial Day, we'll start doing this monitoring with the the traps that actually they have dry ice which is carbon dioxide mm-hmm. and then there's a little uh catch bait uh catch chamber which is a, a net and we we deploy those traps every uh every uh, every evening mm-hmm. um usually monday through monday through thursday normally and throughout the county we have about uh, uh about 80 to 90 monitor sites that we have when we trap those Culex, Culex species mosquitoes. They are they're brought back to our laboratories. They're identified. They're separated by species, and then we test them for West Nile virus in our own in our own uh, facility. And we'll know. We bring a trap in. Let's say, for instance, we bring a trap in from the far end of Parma. Let's say over by Fort Boise Wildlife mm-hmm. Management Area in mm-hmm. the far end of Parma. And we bring it into our. Uh, we bring that trap bag into our office. We deploy it in the evening. We bring it back the next morning. And we'll start test. We'll start separating those mosquitoes out by species. Put those mosquitoes in what's called test pools, and then we'll run tests on them. We'll know within three hours after we bring those traps in. If we bring the traps in at nine o'clock in the morning, by noon we'll know if we have a West Nile 
uh, issue in a certain area, okay. and we can deploy our what's called our ULV fogging operations, or and or both our larvicide treatments to both to those sites. Mm-hmm. We're never going to get rid of every mosquito. The point is to reduce the numbers of that Culex species of mosquito to the point where they're not they're not transmitting the disease. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take another quick break, and when we come back, I've got some more questions for you about how all this gets done. Okay, very good. Know what food to give your faithful canine friends? D&B knows loyal owners choose Neutrina Loyal dog food for man's best friend. Neutrina Loyal offers high-quality, nutrient-rich food for dogs from the littlest pup to the biggest good boy or girl. Specific combinations are available with no corn, no wheat, no soy, as well as completely grain-free. And each formula has minerals and fatty acids important for an extra petable coat. For your loyal companions, choose Neutrina Loyal. Available at your local D&B supply. Know what looks good with a cowboy hat, panhandle western apparel, and rock and roll denim available at D&B Supply. Over 70 years ago, Panhandle started putting snaps on their popular gambler-style shirt and soon became a runaway hit with cowboys and cowgirls everywhere. In the 21st century, they formed Rock and Roll Denim too, with fashion-forward looks and high-class jeans that fit any style. With designs both classic and fresh, get decked out for life in the West with Panhandle shirts and Rock and Roll Denim at D&B. All right, Ed, well, now that we're back, I want to ask you about one other disease, and this has been in the news a ton, Zika virus. Is that any concern up here in the Pacific Northwest? Well, you know, anytime there's a new, anytime there's a new disease that, that uh, emerges, it's, it's a concern. You know, uh, there's always, always a concern. You, you know, back in our minds as, um, as vector control people, we're always thinking, can, can viruses mutate? You know, the Zika virus itself is spread through, a, it's called an AD species of mosquito. There, there's two types, and most, neither one of them have a, a, a normal range up into this area. Well, tell us how you go about abating mosquitoes. So what, do you, what, are, what are the methods that are used to cut down on these populations? Well, as I said, as I said first, is monitoring is important, no, knowing, where that, knowing where those mosquitoes are. What we have to do is concentrate where our resources are to where the mosquitoes are. So the second thing is um, is education, education to the pub, to our to our to our constituents that standing water is our enemy. And if you if there's standing water around that that either we can that we create that can you know that we can alleviate by not over irrigating and all those kind of things will help because the, the the longer that water stands there, the more the more the choices the more the chances are that you're going to get mm-hmm. a, a, a that that. Culex mosquitoes or some of those other nuisances if that water is there too for any length of time. Which brings me to that one point I, I, I mentioned larva control. Mm-hmm. That's really that is really the key into mosquito control is keeping those is catching those mosquito in that larva stage where they're in water. Because if we can control one acre of mosquito larva, that prevents us from having to spray a hundred acres. Oh wow! A hundred acres with the uh, with the nighttime ULV foggings. In an ideal situation, you want to, we try to keep the mosquito in the larva stage and controlling them there. But when they do come out in the adult stages, then their next step, the second goal is to try to keep it in the mosquito population. So. Uh, and reducing those numbers and prevent people from getting bitten possibility of of getting ill from West Nile virus. That's right. the ultimate goal is all in, in that in sure. if we can do that. Okay. Well, let's take another break and when sure. we come back, uh, I want to ask you about ULV fogging. Sure. Great. It's go time for your garden and mow time for your lawn. Luckily, D&B's got Toro mowers waiting for you in store. 
Toro mowers are a household name across America for quality lawn care equipment. At DNB, we've got a range of options to choose from. From the self-propelling personal pace mower for small plots to the zero-turn time cutter for larger tracts of green. So if your mower's taken its last pass on your parcel, turn to Toro. Available at your favorite DNB supply. When you need to feed every horse in the barn, DNB's got just the feed for every horse at every life stage. Purina Strategy. Whether your horses are growing, breeding, showing, or performing, Purina Strategy delivers the right density of protein, energy, and fat with less starch for more endurance and stamina overall. Get better performance no matter the stage with Purina Strategy Horse Feed. Available at your favorite DNB supply. All right, Ed, well, now that we're back, I want to ask you, so you've brought up ULV fogging a couple times or fogging at night. What is that? Okay, uh, ULV fogging, It's again, ULV stands for ultra-low volume. Uh, ultra-low volume is usually a a, a particle that's, that's dispersed into an air with a specialized type of equipment that we have that will break up a... Um, um, a, a insecticide into very small particles, less than 30 microns. Now, 30 microns is pretty small. You can get 100 microns top of a pin. Mm-hmm. So that's a very small particle. The, the, the theory is to, to disperse these uh, microns of insecticide, and we use different, a couple of different types. Most of them are pyrethroid type of, of uh, classes and, 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 and products that can actually be used in and around agricultural settings that mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of pesticides out there do not have crop tolerance labels. The ones we do uh, all do. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, um, so that that uh, product is dis- dispersed into the air column in the evening hours, about uh, usually starting about sundown when you get peak flight time for these. Again, most mosquitoes sundown for about three hours. That's that's usually your time frame. So uh, in your target window, and then again, there's another time frame, it, another target, usually early in the morning, uh, just before half hour uh, before sun, sunrise. Mm-hmm. We like to do in the evening hours and with the UAV products at that time because you get a, a, uh, uh, an element of an inversion in the air that keeps that those particles floating in the air column. And uh, the theory is they, they float out there and the mosquitoes fly into it. And, uh, and the smaller the particle size, the longer they stay in the air column. And, and uh, you, get, you get pretty good results. Is the public able to smell uh, the pyrethrins you're using? You know, it's, some people can. There is, there is an odor, but it's very, very, very low. Uh, we maintain a, a list of people. And we let people know when we're going to be in an area. Now, can the public, if they feel like they've got a bad mosquito problem where they're at, can they call your agency? And obviously, this would be for Canyon County, but can they call your agency and request uh, spraying at their location? Oh, sure. And we do that all the time. We do uh, take a lot of service requests in the summertime. On our webpage, people can fill out their service request and, and send it to us. Our web webpage is canyoncountymosquito.com. Our phone number is 208-461-8633. Well, this has been great. Very, very informational. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this with us today. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed hearing about how they take care of mosquitoes in Canyon County over here in Idaho. And, of course, check with your local can, uh, your local counties wherever you're at 
to see about mosquito abatement in your region and how it gets taken care of there. So that was kind of a local look at what we do about mosquitoes. Now we're going to take a broader look, a more national look, and we've got a guest coming on from the United States Department of Agriculture who specializes in mosquitoes. So we're going to jump into that interview right now. Joining us now is Jose Ramirez. He is a research entomologist with the USDA and is currently working for the ARS or the Agricultural Research Service and currently based in Peoria, Illinois. Jose, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you much for having me in the show. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and talk with you about mosquitoes. <laughs> well, great. And uh, yeah, we do want to. We're doing this entire episode talking about mosquitoes. It's such a reality wherever you go, but certainly where we're at in eastern Oregon and southwestern Idaho as well. So, really appreciate you sharing your expertise, uh, your expertise with us today. And what I'd like to do to start off, Jose, is just ask you if you would tell us just a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, sure. Um, so I guess I'm originally from Peru. Um, I always loved insects, even from from uh, early um, childhood. Uh, mosquitoes wasn't my favorite insect, though. Um, but then, uh, as, as time passed, I had the opportunity to come uh, to the U.S. and study, and I did my bachelor's at Idaho State University, mm-hmm. um, working with some other insects over there. Again, no mosquitoes. Um, then I did my bachelor's and moved to California. I did my, my master's over there in the University of California, Riverside. For my PhD, I went to um, Maryland, uh, finished my uh, PhD over there, and then after a postdoc, I joined um, a year or so ago uh, this unit of the ARS. I have to tell you, I never, even though I have the the, the pleasure, I would say, of working with some other insects, I never thought that mosquitoes, being so tiny, would be so complicated and, <laughs> and so complex in their life cycle. You know, when we look at the mosquito and, you know, by just by the size of it, I mean, you can flick it and the mosquito will be dead. But it's so effective at transmitting pathogens and sure. killing so many people. You know, it's, it's not for nothing that is considered uh, one of the, uh, the most lethal animals uh, on the planet. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. Well, I'm going to have you get into that here in just a second and and I'll let everybody know you you have quite a bit of knowledge about biological controls for mosquitoes, so we wanted to touch on that as well. But I mean, I've got to ask you if if mosquitoes were not your favorite insect, that implies that you had a favorite insect. What was that? <laughs> well, it has changed a little bit. Uh, uh I, I guess nowadays it is a little bit part of part of one of my favorite insects just because I have been researching and learning more about it. So I guess it has been ants uh, because of the social lifestyles that they have, uh-huh. uh, praying mantises and dragonflies. Those were the ones. How interesting. I've never, ever thought of having a favorite insect in my life. I mean, I've got a favorite number, <laughs> a favorite color, a favorite breed of cattle, but I've never, ever thought of having a favorite insect. I'm, now i got to pick one. I'm going to have to really think about this, uh. Jose. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start off like this. Can you tell us just a little bit about the biology of mosquitoes? You don't need to get super, super technical. Obviously, you've got a lot more knowledge than probably 99.9% of the population. But tell us a little bit about what makes a mosquito such a good transmitter of disease and, and such a complex insect. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, and this is very important, uh, primarily for anyone that wants to understand how complex this is. 
uh, as I was telling you, the mosquito life cycle, even though it is small, it is so complex. But basically, the, the main theme is that the mosquito, the female mosquito is the only one that feeds on blood. The male is going to feed on nectar from flowers, plants, um, and, and water, right? But the female is the only one that needs blood, and needs blood in order to produce eggs. So as the female feeds on blood, develops the eggs, the eggs most of the time are uh, deposited on uh, water sources, and those eggs then develop into a larvae, uh, eventually, from depending on conditions such as temperature, uh, it can last from seven to ten days, and then you have a new mosquito. So from egg to a, a new adult mosquito, it might range between seven to ten days. Mm-hmm. Now, that seems to be a little bit uh, simple at that stage, right? But imagine that you have 3,000 species of mosquito around in the world, right? The ones that we recognize. In the U.S., we have about 200 species of mosquitoes. Now, each of these mosquito species have different habitats uh, and different conditions that they require in order to grow. So some of them might grow in uh, wetlands, right, or once you have um, uh, floodplains. Some of them like to live closer to uh, forested areas, and they are going to breed in small holes that they are going to find on trees. Some of them like to live close to humans, like the mosquitoes that transmit dengue and Zika, Aedes aegypti and Albopictus, they are closely associated to to human habitats, so much so that if you remove humans from the face of the air, those mosquitoes will die. Hmm. Kind of exaggerating, but they are so um, so uh, accustomed or evolved to, uh, to living with humans that they are going to be breeding on small receptacles that hold water, you know, plastic containers, even the lid from a, a Pepsi bottle, for example. Mm-hmm. It's enough for them to, to breathe over there. So that's kind of a basic um, generalization of the life cycle of a mosquito, but within it, uh, each species of mosquito uh, is uh, a little bit different from, from the next. One of the, the first things that um, vector control entomologists do is identify um, what is the area that they are going to be controlling. Uh, and, and everything also depends on the conditions from year to year. Uh, it was the winter uh, kind of warm? Um, is now the spring wetter than normal? Uh, is the temperature a little bit higher than normal so the mosquito can survive uh, the winter period? All of these conditions will determine whether uh, a certain area is going to have an increase in the number of mosquitoes. Okay. Now, what makes them such a good, uh, would you call it a vector of disease? Oh, yes. Yes. So the ability of the mosquito, remember, not all mosquitoes uh, have the ability to transmit uh, a given pathogen. Pathogen is the the microorganisms that is going to lead to uh, disease. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just by being a mosquito, if if you see in flying, uh, what determines whether a mosquito is a good vector or not, meaning can transmit a disease or not, um, depends on several factors. When a mosquito goes and feeds on an infected human, let's say a human that has dengue or Zika, mm-hmm. now that mosquito doesn't is not infectious readily, meaning it cannot transmit the virus the next day or a few hours later. No, it needs to have what we call it intrinsic initial period or a period of time where the virus is going to replicate inside the mosquito. 
uh, and it takes, depending on temperature and time, uh, on uh, temperature and other conditions, it can take seven days, 10 days or 14 days, depending on the species. Uh, uh, one of the characteristics um, that makes them effective vectors, or someone has called them flying needles, is that many of those female mosquitoes, since they require blood to produce eggs, many of them have adapted to feed uh, constantly. Uh, so they have several blood meals through, throughout their lifetime. So while they are picking blood from, let's say, the first host, one, let's say a human that has uh, a parasite or a virus, picks up the virus, then develops the eggs, lays the eggs, and then goes again to feed on the next human. Through that feeding, then in the next feeding cycle, then it is able to transmit the parasite or, or uh, the virus. So it is only the old females that can transmit the, uh, the virus or the parasite. Not all of them can do that. Well, Jose, let's take a quick break for a commercial, and then when we come back, we'll jump right back in to talking all about mosquitoes. Know how to power through your to-do list of home improvement projects with the extensive line of power tools from Steel, available at D&B Supply. From legendary chainsaws and industry-leading construction tools to powerful blowers and dependable trimmers like the FS38 grass trimmer, available at D&B for just $129.95. Steel tools are designed for reliability and built for the long haul. Get your motor running for whatever project comes your way and pick up steel power tools at your favorite D&B Supply. D&B knows your feet work hard and they deserve to be treated well. That's why we've got a variety of styles and sizes of Dansko shoes to fit every foot. Dansko shoes are made for those who spend long days and nights on their feet. Early on, they gained a foothold among nurses and teachers. Today, they're growing their footprint among everyone else who finds themselves on their feet for long periods at a time. Give your feet a rest, even while you're on them, with Dansko shoes. Available at your favorite D&B supply. Well, Jose, now that we're back, let's talk some more about some of these biological controls for mosquitoes. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yes, sure. One of the basic controls is still is um, one of the uh, effective uh, ways of controlling mosquitoes is through the use of chemical pesticides, right? Mm-hmm. Without them, uh, I guess we we wouldn't be able to to have overcome many of the of the diseases that have come um, to us. And so it's, an, it's still a very important part of um, vector control. Uh, but of course, there are some other uh, concerns uh, with regards to uh, damages to the environment or any potential effects on human health. So through that, then, there has been also the push to uh, develop new strategies that are a little bit more environmentally friendly, um, but also um, friendly to human health. And it's not a new uh, approach. It has been tried from several years past. And uh, I can just tell you two of them, um, the use of, for example, fish. Mm-hmm. And that uh, there is this fish, like a guppy, uh, a small fish, that is used to to control mosquito. There are different approaches right now. They, they are going on uh, through the use of a bacteria called Bacillus thuringiensis, usually or most of the time it's just recognized by BTI, that is released as granules and through the pond, those bacteria produce a particle 
uh, or a crystal that is toxic to mosquitoes, only to mosquitoes and some of the diptera. So it's very very confined as, uh, to the targeted species. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't affect fishes or uh, crustaceans. Only mosquitoes. So our um, our guest that came on from the from the local. Uh, mosquito abatement district. He was talking about using bacteria to to control them when when they're in the larva stage. Correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So okay. that will be one of one of the approaches. So along those lines, so they have been used now for several years. Well, they are effective. You know, if you have a floodplains and you have a bunch of uh, larvae, right, or you have a pond, let's say, one of the alternatives use bacteria, but the that bacteria BTI. And that would kill the larvae, mm-hmm. but then you have to reapply because then uh, what happens with those granules? They go to the bottom and then they disintegrate or get buried, and then more mosquitoes come in and start laying uh, laying eggs. So the alternative to that is using fish, um, those guppy um, mosquito fish, what they call it, and. Uh, you put those fish in there, and then they will, through the season, they will be eating the, the larvae that they can counter. Now, but they have their limitations. Uh, many times, let's say you have a floodplain yes. that is big enough that you cannot use BTI. Um, or let's say that you have mosquitoes in close to a forested areas. And how do you control those things, right? Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you have... Uh, small puddles of water that are temporary but still are producing mosquitoes. Right. You cannot put, put fish in there because eventually that pond or that um, puddle of water is going to disappear. So mm-hmm. you need alternative methods of control. So through that, um, uh, here at ARS, we're employing different um, uh, approaches uh, similar to that. So we have a range of microbes, both fungi and bacteria, and that we know, uh, because they have been isolated from dead mosquitoes or, uh, or dead beetles, we know that those microbes can kill insects. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are selecting the ones that we can use to, to control mosquitoes. Uh, now, these microbes kill the, mo- or the insect, in this case the mosquitoes, by entering the body of the mosquito. And then inside the body of the mosquito, like a parasite, produces toxins and then almost debilitates the mosquito or the insect. And once it is ready inside the, the mosquito, it kills it. Uh, and then it emerges from, once it is dead, it, the fungi develops into a new stage and then produces spores. And those spores are the ones that are going to be used um, you know, to infect some other uh, mosquitoes. Okay. Now, the problem with those uh, approaches is that compared to um, pesticides, Right, Pestic- uh, if you are using a pesticide to control mosquitoes, let's say you have an, uh, an outbreak of uh, West Nile, let's say, uh, or you have uh, a, lot of, a lot of people complaining because you have a lot of mosquitoes uh, on a given area. Now, you specifically, or especially if you have um, a disease outbreak, you want to control those mosquitoes right away. So. The best way is to use fogging or pesticides to control the mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Now, if you use um, biocontrol methods such as uh, fungi, um, what happens is that it takes a little bit of time uh, for that fungi to take effect. So once the mosquito is infected, then it takes, let's say, four, five, seven days for that mosquito to die. Okay, so it was a good approach. It kills them, reduces them, but it takes time. People usually say, oh, 
you know, eventually kills them, but still they are biting me. Right. Um, so what what uh, scientists have found out is that uh, even though the mosquito is still alive and flying, it is no longer a healthy mosquito. So even though it might be able to pick up the virus uh, from an infected person, um, the conditions having the uh, fungi inside the mosquito makes them less able to transmit a pathogen okay. and less able also to seek uh, other humans to feed on. So that's one of the, the sections that we are looking on. At this point in time with your research and with everything that you know about biological controls of mosquitoes, is there a practical application for you know somebody who owns some land and they want to control mosquitoes where they're at or for mosquito abatement districts or whatever it may be? Is, are there practical applications when it comes to these biological controls? So many many of these right now, I mean, the, the ones that most of the abatement districts are using are um, the mosquito fish, um, those the poesilia or guppy um, fish. Those mm-hmm. little fish most of the times are given for free um, by the abatement districts. Uh, and then with regards to BTI, they also employ those things. So there are three things that usually is, uh, is recommended. First of all, go around your house or around the, the place where you live and drain uh, and dispose of any con- uh, container uh, that would hold wa- water, such as tires, mm-hmm. um, and clean your roof gutters. Um, if you have birds, um, make sure and dump the water from the uh, uh, the water containers at least twice a week so the mosquitoes are not proliferating in there. If you see any faucet that is leaking water, try to fix that. Try to um, to get rid of those uh, things that will hold water and then, uh, you know, be a breeding grounds for mosquitoes. Okay. Uh, as far as uh, clothes, you know, the recommendation is to dress with uh, or wear light colored clothes. Uh, the last part will be using repellents. Uh, some of those are uh, very effective and those that are based on indeed, uh, and they are recommended for use, um, you know, when, when you are outdoors. Um, if you are close to um, a flood uh, water, talk to the abatement district. Who would have ever thought that so much would go into studying mosquitoes? But of course, uh, you're right. They're, they can be a deadly vector of many different diseases. Yes, yes, that is true. I mean, one of the problems, right, apart from nuisance, uh, is... Uh, and that's why we control them is that um, if we don't control them, uh, you know, we can have uh, quickly an outbreak of these deadly uh, diseases. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Jose, and sharing all of this with us. I really appreciate your time and your expertise. Uh, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. <laughs>